From the birthplace of modern recovery, Akron, Ohio, welcome to Rock and Recovery. Recovery Talks, the podcast dedicated to sharing stories and amplifying the voices of those on the front lines in the recovery movement. Our commitment to you to always deliver straight up sober talk with the sincere promise of a safe, stigma and judgment free zone. Recovery Talks right now. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of Recovery Talks, the podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lee Shannon. I'm here with Matt Vance. Hey, Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Mark. Thanks. Thanks great. for having me. Talk to you a little bit about Matt. Matt is a musician and guitarist. He's with the bands The Sunrise Jones and Uptight Sugar and a sober guy for eight years. Congratulations on eight years, dude. Thank you. It's been quite a journey. I know. When you, when you look back on it, it's like there's, for me, sobriety is always broken down in segments. There's like the, the early part where you're kind of like tripping in the dark. You know what I mean? It's like walking through the forest and you're tripping all over things. You know what I mean? Just stay on the trail. Just stay on the trail. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You know what I mean? You know, trying to listen to people and go, should I do that? Should I do this? Should I do that? I don't like that guy. I'm not doing what he said. I mean, and, uh, and then, but then it, it sort of eases in and, you know, I, I just crossed the five-year mark. I'm, I'm approaching six years and I, I've been told Fantastic. that five years, five years is the place where you kind of go, Hey, you know what? You can almost say you might have this. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I, when I came in, the people I associated with were, were pretty adamant about uh, five years being early, you know, five years is like an early sobriety checkpoint, you know, and when you come in, you're just trying to get a day, a month, uh, whatever it may be, you know what I mean? And you're like five years early, you know, but then when you hit up to that, you start to realize that, oh, wow, five years is a, is a chunk where a lot of life stuff happens. And then it kind of tests you on how you deal with it. So it does make sense. You know? I, I still celebrate the guys though, that, you know, when you see them and, and they say, yeah, I got 90 days and that look on their face when they got 90 days, that to me, right. I remember how that felt because that was a big deal because mm-hmm. I would get you know, three months maybe, or five or six weeks. And then I became, you know, whatever reason I became unable to sustain it. And that happened over and over and over again. And I can remember when I first hit that 90 days, I felt maybe there's a slight glimmer of hope that this time it would work out, you know? Mm -hmm. So I I like to start off this whole thing by, you know, finding out a little bit about um, who Matt was before Matt got sober. So, I mean, what was it like for you, dude? Tell me, tell me your story a little bit. You know, just like you had mentioned that sobriety happens in stages before I got sober happened in a lot of stages too, you know, not just growing up, but when I started to, uh, to use drugs and and drink. And, uh, I originally, I, I grew up in Cleveland and, uh, so a couple things, you know, divorce early on in my, in my life and stuff, but I had loving parents and a loving family and supportive family and still gravitated towards the party life. And, um, it didn't take off right away. You know, I, I, I went to school, I had a chance to go to college. I got through that, but it started to take off there. And, and, uh, as I later learned, uh, addiction is a progressive disease and it did exactly that. It progressed. <laughs> and I was a pretty shy guy growing up, um, but had, uh, you know, some, uh, you know, a lot of stuff going on in my mind. I guess the phrase is that's often used is, you know, you feel alone in a crowded room kind of thing. 
And I had a lot of great friends, a lot of great relationships, which I'm still so grateful that I have those connections today. It's been it's been beautiful to come back around to that. But you know, when I when I when I took that drug and I took that drink, it gave me those you know social superpowers. You know, it made me feel full. It made me step feel like I was stepping into myself. And when you feel that, you you want to chase that to the end of the to the end. Of, and the time or whatever, wherever it may go. We talk a lot about that first moment, that first drink. And when you look back, do you, do you see a moment where you said, wow, that's really cool. Or, I mean, for me, it, it also, my, my using was in stages. The first stage was mm-hmm. just fun. Yeah. In the beginning, it gave so much and took so little. I'm, you know, it was almost the things that took were almost little inconveniences here and there because you're just naive and you don't know what's going on. I didn't grow up in a family with a lot of overt addiction. So it's it was kind of like, oh, this is fun. Oh, this is what everyone does. Oh, this is what kids do. And it took so little and it gave so much. It gave so much uh, relief. Just that that uh, that anxiety I was very anxious. I was a very anxious kid, very anxious young guy. For me, there was a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. But when I when I got out there, I was always unsure of myself and everything. Playing sports, yeah. For you, when did it did it go hand in hand with music? Was music also an early part of it for you? Did those two work together, or, or tell me, was that a part of it? Yeah, you know what? Like music was just a passion right off the bat. I, I was super fortunate. My I came from my mom's side. Of the family is really musical, and I got really involved since I was five or six, like playing instruments. And I eventually settled on guitar. I play a little bit of piano too. I started on violin, but you know that just I did that for about a year. I was really young, bounced up piano and then kind of begged my way into guitar you know <laughs> when you're younger you know you want and now it's funny I look back and I'm like man I really love piano. you know I, I play that I really enjoy it a lot but as a as a as a kid I it's like begging that you just play guitar because that's what you know you're listening to rock and roll you're you're watching all the people you idolize and that's what they're doing what I know now I just kind of was just existing and it's like oh I feel this way and when I do this thing I don't feel this way anymore and I feel free I think that's the best way to put it. You feel free within yourself. For me, yeah. there was a confidence problem. It was always like a yeah. unsure of things. And yeah, you know, it just it doesn't matter what people say. That's another thing. Like from the outside, it's like, oh, I have friends. Like, oh, I was doing this. I was involved in this activity or this sport, or I'm playing music with these people. But it's about self-love. It's about what you feel inside. And I didn't know I, that was just, a, there was a disconnect there. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't firing correctly. And uh, when I when I drugged and drank, it was for that brief for that time, you know. I think for me too it was also I belonged to a part of a group that did that. You know what I mean? I was accepted, right? I hung out with the group of people that were like, yeah, let's sneak off and get high. Let's do this. Let's go. Let's go for a ride in our car and, and or, or let's go play guitars and and and, and do this. Really? Yeah. As you a kid, want- as a kid, you're looking for an identity. You know what I mean? And that's what that was. So, how did it progress? I mean, tell me about you know when did you feel? When was the moment where you started thinking, you know, okay something's happening here. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get to the circling down the drain moment. Yeah. <laughs> but I think all of us have a lot of moments of clarity where we go, wait a minute, that's messed up. I mean, yeah. Wait, yeah, I had a lot of moments of clarity throughout my progression until I got sober. The thing is, I wasn't surrounded by people who could help, <laughs> who could offer a different path. I had tons of crazy moments, of cl- some less crazy and some like, uh, whoa, like your heart 
you know, you're, 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 it's like, I have to do something different, but man, if you're not in a position to do any, if no one's there with the handout or doing anything to offer a different solution, you just continually do the same thing. Once again, it lures you in. I went to a college uh, out of state and, you know, was, you know, doing that because that's what everybody said. That's what you should do. And I had the opportunity to do it. I had no idea what I wanted to do with myself, but I got there and I found an identity real quick and it wasn't in learning. <laughs> you know, it was in, it was in partying and, 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 uh, you know, it was accessible to a lot of different stuff and drinking and, and then the, you know, the drug use really increased, you know, to more risque things, you know, it starts as, you know, whatever pot and all these other things. And it starts to get into, you know, psychedelics, narcotics. Did you feel like you were out on the ledge at all? I mean, were there moments where you felt like, man, I'm, I'm there, there were definitely moments where I was like, man, like, I don't know a lot of people who are doing these things, but in a way it was kind of seductive for me. You know what I mean? Because you're from a young age, you're right. I'm trying to find this identity right now. I'm finding an identity in this. I'm finding an identity in, in that. And the substance is giving me the identity. It progressed for you then? It progressed for certain. And, and what's funny is when I, I, not funny, but it's kind of telling. I went back like right when I first got sober and looked back at, at a lot of like poetry and lyrics I was writing. And you can just see the progression in there big time like you know 18 19 year old kid like looking for self-awareness searching for a, a answer or a key or or some kind of identity you know what i mean it starts to get darker and darker and darker and i think really as i when i was in school that was my veil you know oh i'm in school Oh, that's, you know, this is just, okay, fine. Maybe I'm in the fringe group that does like, the, you know, tons of the, the real hard stuff, but I'm still graduating. So, I, you know, I, that's, it's still acceptable, right? So when I moved, at, when I graduated, the veils lift off, right? What are you going to do with your life now? Well, you got to do something. And I continued to use all that, so, that stuff. I actually moved out to Colorado and, and lived in the mountains out there. But it was at that time for certain that I was like, maybe this this is not normal anymore. It's that struggle between those two, like, as I like to call like the real me and the disease, you know, and I didn't even know it was a disease. I didn't know any of that, but that's what was occurring. So what about the circling down the drain moment? You know what I mean? Yeah, well, you know, it started, that progression really started and I got into some really, really hard stuff. I got into a lot of, I got into, a, a, you know, opiates and heroin and stuff when uh, when it was heroin. <laughs> uh, uh, luckily, I got out before the whole the horrible fentanyl crisis and, and um, other stuff that's been going on for the last handful of years. And that's when you really know that you don't, you know, when you're when you're physically addicted to something and you wake up and you're like, man, I, don't, I can't do this today. I don't want to do this today. And you do but it. You but you have to. You have to. I mean, there's just no, there's no way around it. Like it's, and then that becomes its own addiction. All the time they say, how did you know? How did you know? And I say, it's always the same for me. The same story I tell people. And it's like, number one, I would get up just like you said every morning and say, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it today. <laughs> not, not do it. And then later on, once I started using, once I started drinking, it was over. There was no, you know, have two drinks, go home, play guitar, go to bed. That didn't happen. That wasn't part of my story. Once it became progressive, once I was really wrapped deeply into the disease and the illness, there was no chance to just casual using anymore. I don't even know if there was casual using for me ever. I think I always... Wondered. I don't think it was ever casual. I think it just had progressed for me. And the thing that that really is, like I had mentioned earlier, music was a passion of mine. Like I loved it. I used to, as a kid, like sleep with my holding my guitar. 
I mean, literally, like yeah. with my hand draped around my guitar, like from my bed, you know? And outline of the frets across your face. Exactly. I mean, I like was in love with the guitar and everything about it and pop music and 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 pop and alternative and grunge like i you know got into music so what happened was uh from a musical standpoint is i literally stopped playing music altogether like never couldn't even pick up the guitar my spirit was pretty much dead i had moved back to ohio which was at the time a defeat but probably uh helped me get closer to getting sober and I had that moment with my uh, with my mom, to be honest with you, and our relationship was absolutely horrible and on the fence and tattered and torn. And and it was just awful. I was I had become a junkie, but I you know had that moment where I had been holding that secret in. No one knew, even though I looked horrible, I smelled horrible, you know, all that stuff. No one knew. I had never said the words. And it was it was, you know, and, and we had this confrontation. And out of nowhere, I just blurted it out. And I said, Mom, I'm a heroin. You know what I mean? And immediately relief, immediate relief. And then the disease, then I was like, shoot, immediate regret. You know, like, well, <laughs> cat's out of the bag now, I guess, you know, because then people who love you jump into action. And I was very blessed to have people around me who love me. remember that moment with your mom and do you remember what her eyes looked like and what her eyes said to you because I had those moments right I can remember telling someone very close to me I'm really sick I need to get help and I remember the eyes I remember the look in the eyes tell me about that yeah it, I remember we were sitting at the kitchen table and it was uh one of these kind of you know where's you know I had been keeping this ruse up, where's the money, you know, kind of how did you spend, you know, it was something about money as it always was at the time or something like that. And I had no answers left. I was the king of coming up with answers on the spot, like just popping off like excuses, answers, selling just for a second to get a little more breathing room. And I had nothing. And in that moment, I believe my true self came out and I said that. And, and she just, there, it, it was, it was just, there was really nothing to nothing to say really it was an emotional moment and uh there there was some tears for sure but you know shortly after about a month and a half later i ended up in treatment so it was necessary raising awareness removing stigma and offering hope hi i'm garrett hart for rock and recovery it's the nightly radio show that offers upbeat rock songs and inspirational messages for people in recovery from addiction trauma and mental health disruptions. It's for families and friends as well. Rock and Recovery is broadcast every night, 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern at 91.3 FM in Akron, Ohio, and at 90.7 FM in Youngstown, Ohio. The show can be heard at thesummit.fm. You can also listen to Rock and Recovery on our 24-7 radio channel streaming at rockandrecovery.com. We've got a free app for your phone so you can listen anytime, anywhere. Everyone needs a little R&R. Rock and recovery. Recovery rocks. Treatment is usually the, the, the barrier. And, and a lot of times for some of us, sometimes for most of us, it takes more than a few shots to really get it done. 
you know, and, and when I try to explain that to people, people don't accept the concept of the illness as a disease, mm-hmm. as addiction as a disease. You know, I, I tell them that, look, you know what I mean? The first and foremost, I had a medical problem that I had to solve. I mean, all the social, economic, financial, mm-hmm. emotional issues, they all had to be put on hold until I got into a pretty sustained period of abstinence. And for me, that first and foremost was a medical issue. I had to go into detox. I had to get treatment, counseling. I had to take care of that. So tell me a little bit about what happened there for you. Yeah, you know, for me, it really was to the state where I needed to go somewhere where I didn't know anyone, I couldn't leave, and I needed separation. First and foremost, I could never get separation. I could never go longer than maybe 24 to 36 hours. I just couldn't uh, for, for three plus years. So that was absolutely crucial. I didn't really understand anything about it. I was like, oh, I'm just going to go to this place and they'll just teach me how. I, I didn't understand what, what I was getting into. But I can tell you for the first time in my life, I re- there was a moment of surrender. I checked myself in and I was so happy to be there. I was absolutely happy because I had no, I was, I was, I was exhausted from trying to put the, you know, you know, square peg in the round hole. I I just couldn't like line it up. I couldn't figure it out every, for that brief moment, that, that desperation, that gift of desperation for that brief moment, I had no answers. And for an egomaniac like myself at the time, like I always had an answer. I had no answers. And I was just like, please, I don't know what to expect. I'm going to get out of this driver's seat and I'm going to participate in something and, and try to have no regrets. That was a beautiful place to be. There's a lot of purity in that, you know? You're just so sick. We're yeah. so sick at that moment. Yeah. But I just remember feeling, I can't feel any worse. I felt hope. I was so sick. I looked so bad. I, I, but I, you know, what's funny is like they do these intake pictures and you get the one and when you leave, you, you take another one and you get the one. And this, and this is telling of like my mindset though. I was smiling in both of them because I was so happy to be there. And I was super happy, like, because change had happened when I left. I, I had some uh, some deep perfectionism uh, and that I still work on to this day. But, like, you're always thinking, is it working? Am I ready? Am I really surrendering? Am I really being honest? Am I, re-? you know, all these things. And it's like that sometimes the proof is in those kind of moments, you know, where it's like, was I ready? Yeah, because I checked myself in and, you know, made the calls myself and then was glowing as best I could in this picture, you know, didn't mean it was all easy. It was hard there. You know, you got I taught to learn how to love myself. I was introduced to a 12 step program, uh, a lot of positivity that helped change my life for the better. Tell me about the first few miles. Uh, well, I spent 75 days in there. Um, a kid from, I was just a kid from up in Cleveland and it was down here in Akron and I had never been to Akron. <laughs> I didn't have family. I mean, I'd probably driven through, but I was not familiar with the city at all. No idea where I was. And, uh, man, the first few months were, were amazing. Amazing. I got to learn about who I was. I got to, it was hard. It was scary. It was frightening. There were, I, at 30 days is when I took that mask of disease off, as I like to, as I remember it, you know, had a really rough couple nights there because it's like you throw all your emotions in the, you're driving this bus and you throw them all back there for t- t- five, 10 plus years. You're, you're using your drink and you're throwing it all back. And then like you get to a place like a treatment center. And what that means is you you slam the brakes of that bus down and 10 plus years of emotions hit you in real time. 
I just cried a lot. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I had that moment and it was so overwhelming. But, you know, I was surrounded by good people. So I was able to take that stuff and talk to people. I was able to talk to my counselor. I was able to talk to the residential staff. And I made some amazing relationships to so much so that I was going to go back to Cleveland and try to start my life there. And I moved down to Akron. I moved to Akron and I've been here ever since. For me, when I got out, I mean, music was something that I had to repair because I had I had I, I was not a user when I was a player, but within 12 nanoseconds after the gig was over, I was in. Right. I mean, I used to I used to keep a little bottle, half a bottle of vodka with some sort of lemon drink under my seat, which was the little one. So I could get home to the big one. Right. And I, I always say that guy where people would come up and say, man, dude, play one more. I would look at him and like, no way we playing one more. I wanted to leave, pack up my stuff and get to that little bottle so I could get home and get to the big bottle and drink all night. But music for me was a little difficult when I first started coming back because I thought to myself, can I do this? Can I play? Can I, can I, and tell me about what that was like for you. What was music like for you? It was an amazing experience. You know, I'm doing things now musically that I was not doing before. So like the, the, the comparative experience is like, wow, like I, I had no idea. I was a, I've been able to tap into something that I wasn't before. I was like you, I didn't use and drink a lot when I played. It wasn't, it didn't make me any better. Now I did it after I did it, you know, absolutely because it was the social, it was the social lubricant for sure. Yeah. Um, but I, I can say this, that I lost, I lost music uh, in my ad addiction. I lost it. Didn't even pick up a guitar for three. Couldn't even look. I try and I just like, ugh, I'd like throw it away. I couldn't, there was nothing, no creative spark. I went into treatment. I brought a guitar. There was a piano there and I just started playing, man. I just started playing again. I had to learn again. I mean, my dexterity was crap. Like, no, your brain. Uh, I, I just, my, no, the brain, yeah, my brain and my hand, fingers weren't matching, you know, but I started like covering a whole bunch of stuff that I liked and I started li listening to a lot. And oddly enough, I hadn't played piano in years and I sat behind this piano and it was just this inspirational feeling. And I just started playing and playing and playing and I didn't even know I could play like, you know, uh, hammer stuff out. And I was and I was writing and it was like if I could define like a creative spark, that's what it was. It just felt so great. And recovery minute recovery rocks as human beings we all need help every single one of us needs help graham nash two-time rock and roll hall of fame and museum inductee grammy winner founding member of the hollies and supergroup crosby stills and nash talks about how music can change the world we never do anything alone really and i really truly believe that a good piece of music can change the world not just in popular rock and roll, but I mean, you know, I, I'm sure Beethoven changed the world. I'm sure Mozart changed the world. But I really do believe that music can bring people together. So we want our fans to get value for money and to leave our concerts smiling and thinking differently about the world that they exist in. Hear the full interview and learn more at rockandrecovery.com. This has been a Rock and Recovery Minute. Recovery rocks. some little bit of sobriety under your belt you had some sustained abstinence right because very clearly for me it was the one year 
right? The one year mark, and again, I'm being a part of a 12 step program, there's little tokens we get at one year, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, for me, that was when I was first, the first exhale I had. It's like, okay, dude, you really did this. You really did this. I wasn't confident, I wasn't certain, but that was kind of like, I felt like, and, and again, playing was starting to be different. It was different again. It was clearer. I was playing better. I was playing, I mean, I had to go find a way to make a living and do all those things we had to do, which were distracting, you know, making that money and paying for, you know, stuff, but, but it was different for me. Do you have an exhale moment that you can think of that where you went, maybe it's going to work. Maybe it's going to yeah, work. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I actually had that when I was in treatment and I was, like I said, I was introduced to a, the 12 steps and, uh, I, I did some work in the an inventory process in the fourth and, and fifth step and and it was it was a long process but uh after that i woke up the next day and i felt at peace i mean i used to my anxiety was so bad that i'd shake you know i'd like constantly move and shake my legs and kind of rub my hands together and do all these things and i sat still for the first time in years i just like melted into that couch man and i didn't even realize it and a guy was in there was like he was like congratulations on a successful fourth and fifth i go why he's like because you've you're sitting still and you stop shaking <laughs> and i've never seen you do that and i was at absolute peace uh and, and it was like wow there's something here and i kind of ran with that from there on out you know uh, in regards to the music, though, you know, I, I just started on my own, just playing stuff, and and it's it's crazy because everything is I can I can thank like what I'm doing now musically and personally, everything I can I can tie back to uh, my sobriety and and those steps. My cousin reached out to me and he's like, "Hey, I'm playing in this band. I'm looking for someone to just kind of." Uh, just sub in for a show and we're just going to do fun covers and do whatever. And, and the old me would have been like, no, I can't do it. Like fear, like, uh, I can't go out. Like I'll make up some excuse. Da, da, da. Yeah. You know, whatever it may be, I'll play it off, but Oh, thanks man. I really appreciate it. But you know, I don't know. We'll see. I'll let you know right. kind of thing. And I had just done some work and looked at like a lot of perfectionism traits and stuff. And the, one of the things I learned was you only learn by making mistakes. You don't learn from the things you already know. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll show up for the the audition. That's cool. And he goes, oh, okay, cool. And he gave me three or four songs to learn. I showed up. I didn't have any gear. I borrowed like a $50 guitar from my room. I mean, I had nothing at the time. And um, and I showed up and it, and it just went so well that the singer at the time invited me in full time. And now those are the bands that I'm in now. Matt, tell me about that song, man. Tell me about it. Yeah, uh, we came out with that one um, last July. It was on our second EP, Uptight Sugars EP, uh, I'm Okay, You're Okay. Uh, came out in July, and uh, they seem to like it quite a bit on the summit. They, they play it. Um, they, they spin it quite a bit. It was, it was one of the first singles that we put out, and um, it's been pretty popular. A lot of, lot of new wave, a lot of 80s experience. Actually, the, the drum and ba the, the synth lines in it and the the rhythm and stuff was kind of inspired by uh, uh, Stranger Things <laughs> when that show came out, you know, and that kind of vibe that's been going around for the last couple of years. You Oh
times I, I get all misty eyed and I think, man, just congratulate yourself on how far you've come because it would not have happened for me. My first record was put out and was produced by Michael Stanley, came out and, and, um, and I really didn't tour. I didn't do anything because I was paralyzed, right? I had excuses. I was still working at a corporate job. I didn't blah, 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 blah. But the reality is when my next record came out and I was sober, it was a whole different experience for me. When you look back on the music and you look back on the playing, isn't it a completely different thing now that you hit look at it with a clear head? I mean, that's the most amazing part. It's absolutely amazing. And, it, and it's just, it's like I'm in the present moment and I'm experiencing it and it's just, uh, and sometimes I can't even believe it. I, I can't even believe it. I, 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 even to just do, to get up on stage and and perform in front of people and and remember and, it. And <laughs> hey, yeah, and 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 remember it and and be able to and and to just experience that. It's just man, when I was a kid learning Nirvana songs in my bedroom, you know what I mean with with whatever effects pedal I might've got, you know, the one or two I had for Christmas and I'm just jamming away and just like thinking like, man, what, what's a, you know what I mean? And I could have never have done that on the path that I was, uh, it was just not going to happen. You know? So I like to end the, end the interviews with this question that I think is probably the thing that I ask myself the most is what would you tell the using Matt? I mean, what would the sober Matt tell the using Matt about his life today? <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. That's what I tell them. You know, <laughs> you're, you're, you're not the, the stuff that you're doing. Um, the stuff that you're doing right now, uh, does not make you better. Well, I'm thanks doing. everybody for being with us, you know, and thank you, Matt Vance, everybody, please check out his music with uptight sugar. And, you know, we want to just say thanks for hanging with both of us on this edition of recovery talks, the podcast. Make sure you stay tuned to Rock and Recovery for more episodes with more guests as they share their journey from the darkness to the light. And until then, everybody stay standing, stay sober, and steady on. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Mark.